Graham Roundtree has been announced as uh, the new coach of Munster Rugby. That was such a big momentum changer for me. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neil Briggs. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. The News Round on Off The Ball with Gillette for an effortless finish to your day. New Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. This is News Talk. Hello there, you're welcome along to Wednesday's Off The Ball. Joe Malloy with you this evening. So Eric Donovan will give us the definitive Katie Taylor, Amanda Serrano breakdown after 8 o'clock on the show this evening. It is, of course, another Champions League evening after a glorious Champions League evening just gone. Gav Cooney will be in studio to keep an eye on Liverpool, Villarreal and reflect on Manchester City 4, Real Madrid 3. Earlier than advertised, Wednesday Night Rugby with Jerry Thornley, half past seven, coming your way. Lots to talk about with Jerry. 53106, the text number. We're at Off The Ball on Twitter. We have Mick McCarthy in studio. Hello. Hey, Joe. And Richie McCormick, you're there. Gents, good evening. Good evening to you. I can't see you. There's something wrong with the TV. Or is that just us? No, I think there's something wrong, Joe. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> okay, just us, I think. So everybody else can see you, Richie, but we can Move on. But you're there anyway. RTV's yeah, gone in here. I am, yeah. Okay, good. So uh, lots to discuss. Eric Donovan on the way after 8 o'clock. He will provide a stellar breakdown of Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano. Madison Square Garden. It will be at around 3 a.m. Sunday morning, Irish time we're hearing. It's heading for a sellout, so they're closing in on the 20,000 mark. Reportedly, 4,500 travelling over from... Ireland and yeah. the UK for this fight so Eric Donovan always a brilliant astute analyst of fights and how they're going to go and certainly his general sense is Mick that Taylor is going to have to fight very cleverly really embrace her amateur roots and get in and faint a lot and move because Serrano has the power and the knockout power and the concussive power and Taylor doesn't mm-hmm. and it's a it's an issue of technique and it's hard to change technique and he tried to do it himself it's not easy when you've grown up and been immersed in the amateur ethos to suddenly turn into a power puncher so he thinks that's the way Taylor's going to have to fight and in some respects one of the big question marks if not the big question mark is is that sustainable for Taylor in her mid-30s across 10 rounds to yeah. keep moving and keep going and you know, it, it's possible. I mean, like it's a beautifully balanced fight. Serrano's the uh, four to five on, generally speaking, favourite to Taylor's evens. Yeah. I won't talk about everything that Eric uh, spoke about, but, you know, did mention that most of the main pundits who are following the fight in America, the main respected boxing pundits, are leaning towards Serrano. Now, there's a hometown thing going on with uh, Serrano. Obviously, she's from Puerto Rico, but she's very much New York-raised. And, uh, you know, they obviously know her more than they know Katie Taylor. But I also do think it is conventional wisdom that, you know, the younger fighter in Serrano and the more powerful fighter and the fresher fighter, and possibly they think maybe a fighter that suits an opponent like Katie Taylor is going to win. The only thing I'll say is I find it very difficult. It took me years to build up to the fact that there's an Irish sports person of any kind who might just very well be the best in the business Mm. at what they do and an undisputed best in some ways. And every time Katie came up against an opponent, you think might be in trouble. You go, "Oh, I'm not sure." I'm not, like you know, may, maybe this is the maybe this is the one. Maybe she's got, found out's the wrong word, but you have this awful Irishness in the back of your head. And it's like now that it's coming to it that people are you know genuinely thinking this might be the case. 
there's a part of me that thinks, you know what, damn it, I believe in Katie Taylor. She's she's brought it for all these years. We're not talking the six years of professionalism. We're talking the twelve or so years of you know our journey with her um, for, through the amateurs and professionals. And you know, one time it didn't go well. It's not very much. No, it sure isn't. Can she drag it out of like for what? This is a, this is the only fight that matters. I spoke to Katie Taylor. I think it was four years ago, mm. and she was talking to me about how the Serrano fight was around the corner and she wasn't saying everything else doesn't matter but it was very very obvious that Amanda Serrano was the biggest uh, fight out there and it was the one that she wanted and she was relishing it a lot of time has passed since then Mm. a lot of things may have changed uh, you know in terms of uh, maybe Katie's legs etc but I don't know I just can't write her off she's been too good for too long Steve Bunce was writing about this and he was saying, I think it was in the BBC website, I was just reading it, he was saying uh, with Taylor and some of the points he makes here, I I haven't heard said about her, like Mm -hmm. she lacks desire or her mind's elsewhere now, but we'll accept them anyway if some people think that. So Steve Bunce is saying, uh, the sense is Taylor's slowing down, showing a lack of desire, she's easier to hit, Uh, people think her mind's elsewhere and all of those things, says Steve Bunce, are probably true, but they're not terminal. I think she's fought well within herself in the last few fights. She's coasted in some of them has she looked like the tailor of old? She hasn't, but she hasn't had to be the tailor of old. And so I'm thinking, man, this is fairly grim. And then he just says out of nowhere, whisper it. I think we might see something extraordinary from Taylor. <laughs> she rises to the occasion. Bunts in at the end. Yeah. Maybe she's got to the point where she beats what's in front of her. And that's a very normal thing, I think, for a sports person. I think everything we know about Katie Taylor would suggest that a lack of desire is, at the very, at the very least, worded wrong. Yeah. You know, because there's no way that Katie Taylor has a lack of desire. And if any of the other aspects of that comment is true, then Amanda Serrano in a full Madison Square Garden, a, a female world title fight topping the bill, them appearing on the bloody Today Show on NBC today yeah. as they get billed up to this. This is how big this is. It's bloody bigger in America than it is here in some ways. You know, that's going to immediately erase all of those little issues. I don't think she's going to have a problem getting up for this fight. No, and not that it's the most important thing by distance, but she now sails off into the sunset, uh, set for life, you would think, financially, and has a global uh, profile. And I don't know, Rich, what you thought when she uh, turned professional in 2016. I must say I had real worries because I just thought uh, this is a hard-nosed business. Interest levels in women's boxing were very, very poor at a professional level. Would there be money? Would the whole thing quickly chew her up, spit her out? And I thought, well, maybe just, uh, you know, bide your time, go to Tokyo, win gold, and what a fitting finale that would be. But whatever way her and Eddie Hearn struck up this partnership, it's just blossomed to an extent I could never have seen within six years. I mean, if you'd said six years ago, Madison yeah. Square Garden, 20,000 on the Today Show, on NBC, etc., I would have said, no, it won't happen that quickly. Can't. Yeah, and it's not just the Today Show. It's a, it's, a, it's a media blitz that her and Serrano have been engaged in over the past 24 hours or so in New York. And this week is absolute vindication for pretty much every single thing that she has done so far, not only in her professional career, but also in her boxing career, sporting career as a whole. Because to get from where she started having to pretend to be a boy uh, in her local boxing club out in Bray to headlining Madison Square Garden, 20,000 fans, a big design concert, contract uh, a, a, a big the biggest contract that a women's fight has ever seen in terms of purses and paydays like this is it's absolutely incredible and she's done it the right way like every single thing about her has been conducted within the realm of the ring there's been no smack talk there's been no you know dr- 
drunk driving arrests. There's been no, you know, cases of her taking to social media at three o'clock in the morning and cursing somebody out. It's she's an impeccable sports star. She's an impeccable human being. And for her to be performing on a stage as grand as MSG in front of 20,000 in the biggest women's fight of all time, like she deserves every single plaudit that will come her way in the wake of this fight, whether she wins it or loses it. Quite a respectful air between the two fighters. Serrano, uh, this was a couple of weeks ago, but it hasn't really changed in the meantime, was saying that when Taylor turned pro, I was so excited because I knew she would change things for us, which gives an insight into even the esteem that someone like Serrano yeah. and 40 wins at that stage held Taylor in. I'm sure she's even a bit surprised at the payday which is landed. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, but also, you know, the fact that Serrano sees Taylor that way, it does illustrate a much how much of a pioneer Katie has been for women's boxing, but it's also something that she takes quite seriously. So, you know, this is she's ended up at Madison Square Garden for this massive fight, but I also think that, you know, she wanted to fight Amanda Serrano because that was the fight out there that was going to do this. So, great, that's a payday. Great, it's a personal accolade. But it's also something that's women's boxing is on the map for. And I like, I mean, we've all talked to Katie over the years in different in different ways, and this stuff is very important to her. She always she wants to put women's boxing two to four. And when she does step off the stage, whenever that might be, it could be a few years from now, for all we know. But you know, she's left it in a place now to where, you know, it's not going to be ever a question again of oh, like it's it's I don't care who it is. It's you can't have you can't have uh, women in Madison Square Garden, etc. etc. whatever the case, whatever the old uh, the old ways used to be, the old uh, ways of thinking. It's gone. Mm-hmm. And she's she's uh you know, broke the glass ceiling there and like as Richie says, win, lose or draw, we'll never forget it, but we'll never um she'll have amazing accolades. But do you know what? It's the Wednesday before the fight. Forget about the win, lose or draw stuff. It's whether she's going to win is still the most important part of this, you know. Mm. The uh, news round is brought to you with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Richie, you've got team news. Yeah, after the excitement of the Etihad last night, it's the turn of Liverpool and Villarreal tonight in the Champions League semi-finals. The Spanish side hoping to reach the final of European football's Premier competition for the first time for Liverpool. This is their third semi-final in just the last five seasons. Three changes for Liverpool from that Merseyside derby win over Everton at the weekend. In goal, it's of course Alisson. Across the back forwards, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Ibrahima Kanate, who replaces Joel Matip, is alongside Virgil van Dijk. And at left back, it's Andy Robertson. In midfield, then we've got Fabinho with Jordan Henderson coming into the side in place from Lavi Keita. Thiago Alcantara keeps his side, uh, keeps his place on the left-hand side of that midfield. And then in the attack, it's Mo Salah, Sadio Mane, and in for Diogo Jada comes Luis Diaz for Villarreal, a 4-4-2 for them tonight. Geronimo Rulli starts in goal, a back four of Juan Foyt, Raul Albiol, Pau Torres, and Pervis Estepinian. Uh, Samu Chukweze, Danny Parejo, Etienne Capu, and Francis Coquelin are across their midfield with Giovanni Lo Celso in support of Arno Danjuma. Kickoff at Anfield is it eight? No, Jared Moreno for VRL tonight. He missed their game at the weekend in La Liga and once again is out injured this evening. I do wonder if the memorable side of Matip sprinting after Anthony Gordon not so long ago played in the minds of uh, Jurgen Klopp when he's picking this team. Certainly, that midfield of Henderson, Fabinho, Thiago is very much emerging as yeah. their uh, go to midfield. And I would think Jada must be thinking to himself, <laughs> like, Firmino was tough enough to try and see off. Firmino's injured this evening. Where's this 
guy come from? It's absolutely incredible. Jada comes in, breaks that front tree, does nothing except score in every single game. Yeah. You know, just like you know, just goes in. Oh yeah, no, I'll I'll, I'll be I'll be just as good as you two here, uh, Firmino. You step to the side, buddy. Jada scores in every single game. It's like we just got this guy. Just you know, we're thinking the future. You know, we're thinking the future. Uh, we'll just give him a run or two. We'll play a couple of games. You know, the less important ones. And then suddenly Diaz is the superstar. Yeah. And Jada's on the bench. Oh my god. What a killer. We're top this game. Gav Cooney's going to pop into the studio as well. So football show, we're right across it. And we will, of course, be reflecting on Man City 4, Real Madrid 3. There are many uh, reasons and reminders, Mick, and to be fair, increasingly so, as to why I'm not an elite sports person. But another came last night when, if you really put yourself in the position of Kareem Benzema over that penalty, like for real, not in a million would I attempt a Penenka. Just on the off chance that it goes disastrously wrong, this will be remembered forever. This will be the kind of miss that will be associated with you forever. You'll be lambasted a million different ways. So I'm hitting it pretty hard and I'm putting it in one of the corners and I'm not doing a fancy run up. So if I miss it, it's just, oh, great save keeper. Like the nerve, the sheer audacity to do that after, by the way, missing four of nine this year, including two at the weekend. Mm. You missed two at the weekend. I just, it was, I mean, I just roared out laughing. It's so funny. Yeah. And I just so couldn't much, believe it. And and it was the reaction inside. I was like, uh, you know, just outside the studio here and I, I didn't see it. And I got like two or three messages from around the office that just went, like, they were just sort of varying, like, different types of laughing emojis and just the word Benzema. You know, I didn't even know what was happening. And it was just, that's the way he is, you know. Uh, he quoted on Spanish TV afterwards, translated, obviously, if you don't take penalties, you'll never miss them. It's confidence, nothing more. It's all mental. He also spoke about the fact that goalkeepers were starting to study, you know, his penalties and seeing what he does. So he had to change it up. And that's just one of the different types of penalties you have to be able to take wow. is a Penenka. He has the confidence to do it. It's all mental, you know. So he knew that in all the uh, studies of Ederson and the Manchester City goalkeeping uh, coaches fraternity, not once had they seen a Penenka. Possibly not. Well, they definitely didn't expect it anyway. No. So, uh, and, you know... It, Benzema, as, um, as you said, he, he wasn't having the greatest, um, you know, run of penalties. So you, know, you you just double down. That's the sign of a player who's like. It's actually amazing to me that he was missing penalties at all, given the form that he's in mm. this season. But like the confidence of that guy at the moment, he's yeah. playing like he's playing like a you know he's on turbocharge on a computer game and was already the best player in the game. Yeah, you know. See, I always think with those Penenkas as well, adrenaline can do strange things and we can somehow summon superhuman efforts. So I would think the adrenaline at that moment is coursing through you. I, I always think it's, it must be so easy to give it too much and to just dink it over the bar. So Dan came close with the underside of the crossbar yeah. that time. I'm amazed we haven't seen one just dink way over. A la a golfer who misses the green on the last four holes of a Sunday at a major and is like, what? I've never hit a nine iron that far in my life. I'm amazed it hasn't happened. I was also thinking golf, but in a different way of kind of like the of try, trying that. to <laughs> trying to pull back. But, you know, like the legs being a bit jelly and you're doing it way too much and just like sort of chipping Don't it up finish. into the air like yeah. like you would with a, you know, an iron shot that goes 15 yards up into the air. Yeah. Um, you know, and you could easily just make yourself even look even more fool. You know, that would be even more foolish if a Penenka doesn't yeah. even reach the goal. <laughs> you know, that's what I was saying you when you were saying not in a million years would I try that. I was thinking to myself, forget about Champions League semi final and forget about like you know uh, the pressure of it. I don't think I'd I'd, I'd try a Penenka in an empty goal in case I mishit it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, as uh, four three wins go at home to Real Madrid, Richie, that was a disappointing one for City. 
Yeah, it was. Uh, Pep Guardiola says his players should feel upbeat about last night's results. City had a two-goal advantage on three occasions before eventually beating Real by four goals to three. And the City boss said they shouldn't be downcast about the meagre nature of the lead they'll take to the Bernabeu. Nobody can say that the football game was not good because both teams want to try to play, want to try to win. And hopefully in Bernabeu we can do a good performance as well because we need it so we know that we have to maybe rise rise the level or maybe play better to to reach the final but this competition demand that you know and at the end with chances we can create we have to convert okay it's our fault so we have to try to do it it was we were really really clear and we didn't do it okay but uh, I want to try to convince all my players that uh, we won the game that they don't have to make one heads down, heads up, heads up, and 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 know that we have to go to Bernabeu to to win the game to perform quite similar today. You have minimum chances, but even in Bernabeu, I said before, now we're one up, but you go about two or three or four. Always you have to perform well. They are able to score three goals in ten minutes, so they have this ability. And we have quality for the history, especially for the players that they have. But in the same time. You have to try to, you know, be ourselves, and it's a good test. It will prove for, for ourselves. Yeah, Madrid's ability to just hang on the ropes and take everything you got, and then counterpunch is absolutely remarkable. Interesting there, Richie. Even Guardiola is acknowledging in the press conference that he found a pretty peeved-off Manchester City dressing room, and his his post-match talk was. This isn't terrible. This is okay. They would have known. That should have been, uh, I would say, six-two. Yeah. That game should have been six-two. Well, I think. I, th- I think they're probably downcast because they were probably expecting it from their manager because you look at his reactions on the sidelines, particularly to some of the wasted chances in the first half. He will be capital F-E-W-M-I-N fuming at that performance, not by the nature of how they played from, from whistle to whistle, but the fact that the game should have been done and dusted, the tie should have been done and dusted by half time. And you don't get a chance to waste opportunities like that against a side like Real Madrid, who might not be, you know, peak of their powers, winning three Champions Leagues on the bounce anymore. But they're a team, like you mentioned, who can hang in there, have fitness levels that seem above and beyond somehow, uh, even Manchester City's, and can have, you know, have game changers like Kareem Benzema, have somebody pulling the strings in midfield like Luka Modric, and you have somebody who can run at your defence like Vinicius Jr. did last night. And I would fancy Real Madrid to, to get over the line in the second leg because City really did look like their heads dropped when that you know third goal went in from Manchester City's point of view. Heads dropped in, in the sense that they didn't look like they were really uh, morbid or, or mourning anything, but they were definitely leggier than I would have presumed they would be at that point in the game and at that point in the tie. And that's something certainly that Real can take advantage of. Yeah. Cancelo back for the second leg's huge because obviously Stones didn't work out and Fernandino certainly didn't work out right back despite his brilliant assist. But there was a moment where you saw the great and the awful of City and the reason maybe they haven't quite seen this tournament through just yet when uh, there was a, a cross which De Bruyne put in an amazing cross first time cross flashed across the uh, goal and the camera cut to Guardiola and the TV commentary said oh he's applauding the De Bruyne cross and he wasn't actually he was, he was turning back to Laporte and Ederson who had played the most unbelievably brave slash insane football under pressure to start the move and he's applauding them and you think God that's Man City that's why they're amazing but then you fast forward a few months later and that brilliant Laporte play is there but it's been highlighted at BT highlighted it RT highlighted it it just jumped out a million miles when Fernandinho dives in and Vinicius turns him that's going to happen it's 35 year old Fernandinho playing right back but when Vinicius has this straight run at goal and Laporte 
just keeps on running back towards his own goal. Like you would think the first move there is I have to run to cut off Vinicius's straight line to go. I just have to do that. And instead he just keeps running towards his own goal to the point where Zinchenko, who's drifting across and picking up Benzema, almost runs into him. And he's kind of, like you, you feel like Zinchenko must be thinking, what are you still doing here as Vinicius is just going towards goal? And so like that's chronic. I thought that in a game of this calibre was actually staggering on Laporte's uh, part. I re- like it was staggering. I but couldn't understand it. Where does that come it. from? Is it from Laporte's talent or you know is it their coaching is it his bottle because it's such a big game that he's lost his head a little bit and he doesn't he doesn't remember how to defend initially I thought maybe his instincts are just that poor and he's this glorious all-round footballer who's not in that position very often because City are so dominant and then to be fair Richie Sadler made the point on RT last night that Van Dijk does this a lot too so maybe next time with Kenny Cunningham on or Gary Breen maybe this is a new thought in coaching but I don't see the sense and I don't agree with it not least when Zinchenko's behind you and literally running into you when you've two men marking Benzema in the box and Vinicius goes okay I'll just keep going <laughs> it doesn't make sense so I, I mean maybe the fact that Van Dijk seems to do it I haven't noticed that as much but that Laporte did it last night was really hard to fathom yeah. but that's that's City like the, the wonderful and then the kind of head in your hands woeful moment definitely and it keeps it interesting because otherwise we'd be in trouble because they were so good at times last yeah. night that you know they were there wasn't a team in the world that was going to stop them and now the tie is alive I wonder though as downcast as they were uh, like to Richie's point about Madrid in the next leg I, I think by the time the second leg comes around City will have reflected on what they did well and realised that they're a good bit of a better football team than Real Madrid. And I, I would, I would think that like if if things don't get weird again, yeah. which they very well could with this Real Madrid Madrid team. Let's face it, it has been all season. But if they don't get weird again, I think City could, could be comfortably going through in the next leg. I like if Chelsea can go three 0 up at the Bernabeu mm-hmm. or two 0 up at the Bernabeu. I have no doubt that uh, Man City can win four 0 at the Bernabeu. Yeah. But what happened to Chelsea then, John? <laughs> this is the thing. The thing is like a weird quality about Madrid. Uh, Rich, where are you taking us next? Rugby, I think. Yes, Six Nations CEO Ben Morel claims offering prize money for the women's Six Nations will be counterintuitive. Despite having a title sponsor for the first time this year with TikTok, no prize money is being awarded based on performance in the competition. Morel says prize money would widen the sporting gap between the so-called stronger and weaker unions. I kind of think that's a fair enough point, actually. Like, at first glance, I was like, What? And then the more I think about it, like over the next 10 years, it's not even like eight or nine out of 10. It's like 10 out of 10 France and probably England are going to win the Six Nations. So do you really want to give them millions? Like once the money has been distributed that TikTok are paying and that's been raised and that's been distributed across the board, I do think it's slightly different to the men's Six Nations where it's so competitive and so even and, you know, the prize money is a really good incentive. I'm not sure the value of giving England X number of million over... Ireland and Scotland trying to develop for eight or nine of the next ten years. Am I wrong? Um, I think it would be better for the money to go equally among the unions. If that is the case, then great. Yeah, yeah I don't know if we need to widen the sporting gap. Uh, I think other than that, I think, you know... Let's punish England. Every time England win it now, they should have to pay a fine. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that I think you might be right. I think it might be one of those things that looks a little bit worse in the headline. Mm. Uh, as in, we're not paying women anything, you know, we're not, yeah. <laughs> as opposed to what it's actually doing. Well, I'm presuming the TikTok money and the money uh, generated is, is going to be there and then given back to the game. Like, I'm, there's no one walking off pocketing it, I, I'm presuming. So on that basis, the issue, yeah. The issue there is uh, Morel's essentially uh, admitted that the competition is a two-horse race. Yeah. 
and I'd like to I'd like to know what they're doing and what they're encouraging to happen for that gap to be closed because the more like this is this, this tournament bizarrely has become more visible uh, with the fewer chances there are to actually win it. Um, like it was still a, a pretty niche concern when Ireland won the Grand Slam, and yet here we are. What is it? Seven years later, eight years later, and we're talking about it being a two-horse race and being, yeah. you know, between France and England for the last decade, and it's going to continue to be that way for another decade. And something needs to be done, not only on an individual union basis, but also from Six Nations organisers to try and arrest that because it just becomes a waste of everybody's time if that's the way it's going to continue. Yeah, totally agree. Like, so I've obviously been very invested in this year's tournament in particular, working with Virgin on it. And, and therefore doing games that I mightn't necessarily watch previously not involving Ireland. And there is no question, the biggest issue in this tournament is that every single England and France game, bar the game when they play against each other in round five, uh, is, is non-essential viewing because you already know the result. And there's no selling that to the public at large. There's just no, there's no future in that. And that is the biggest issue which has to be addressed as soon as possible because actually the Wales-Scotland game, which went down to the final moments was brilliant entertainment, you know, like, and that, this applies to Wales anything. Ireland was great for a lot of it as well. Wales Ireland, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, you'll, you'll watch two raindrops drawn down a window if it's close. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, the, the one thing which is just death to uh, sporting interest at large is uncompetitive sports. So, um, yeah, totally agree. That is the big issue. And, and it's, oh, I don't know how they fix it actually anytime soon. That's, that's the big worry. So, uh, Rich, clock's against us. Jerry Thornley is waiting. Any last story you want to bring us? Yeah, we'll go to the Crucible finally. Mark Williams won three frames on the bounce to book his place in the World Snooker Championship semi-finals. The three-time Crucible winner came from behind to beat Yan Bingtao 13-11. John Higgins took an 8-7 lead into the evening session of his quarter-final with Jack Lazowski. So it remains. Uh, on the other table this evening, Stuart Bingham up against Judd Trump. Trump now leads that one by nine frames to eight. He's won the first uh, frame of the session. Uh, the winner of that one will play Ronnie O'Sullivan in the semi-finals. O'Sullivan completed a 13 five win over Stephen Maguire earlier on today. Irish Gas 1883 on Twitter is telling me that Peter Crouch missed one at Penenka against Jamaica for a hat-trick in 06. He did. Did he? At, at Old Trafford, yeah. Keeper stood there straight into his arms type thing? Pretty pretty much, yeah. He just kind of looked at him and laughed and because uh, Crouchy was in mid-robot uh, peak of his powers yeah. uh, kind of phase and he was looking to get a hat-trick before they went off to Germany and made a hames of that. So, Crouchy yeah, taking laughs a penalty on I think he won a 5-1. What would Roy Keane say about that? <laughs> Who's yeah. the penalty taker? In 06? Yeah. I don't know. Who was the English penalty taker in 06? Last- Beckham? 06 would have been Beckham, yeah. He certainly took it against Argentina four years prior. So, yeah. yeah. Like, was he gone by 06? It wasn't Crouch anyway. Can we just... No, he was captain in 06. <laughs> was he still hanging around 06, Beckham? Yeah, okay. Rooney, he was, maybe? He was, cap- he was captain in 06, yeah. Okay, well, then he was taking the penalties. He wasn't knocked off them. Yeah. Uh, fellas, thank you very much. Richie, thank you. Nice and lads. Mick McCarthy, thank you. Cheers.